We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. On the show today, a good friend of mine, Mark Stern, a.k.a. Nigel from the Tony Kornheiser Show. Uh, Mark also produced Tom and Me, our show, The Sports Fix, for seven and a half years at 980. Uh, He's doing a new podcast, which he'll tell us all about, but we'll also reminisce a little bit about working together over the years. Some really good stories uh, to come uh, from my conversation um, with Mark. Uh, If you remember his Christopher Walken impersonation, he did it on the Sports Fix, our show for um, several years uh, during football season. It was actually nearly 10 years ago that him doing that impersonation created a national news story. You may or may not remember it. Some of you probably don't. Most of you probably don't. We will cover that and more a little bit later on in the show. Uh, the latest on Skins Minicamp Day 2 coming up. Um, you'll also hear exactly what Chase Young said yesterday with the questions included on why he wasn't at OTAs. That's coming up in about five minutes. Uh, To start, Donovan Mitchell last night for the Utah Jazz scored 45 points in Utah's 112-109 win over the Clippers in Game 1 of the Western uh, Conference semifinals. This is a series that I'm very much into because my favorite player in all of team sports, Kawhi Leonard, I'm rooting for him to lead the Clippers to the NBA Finals and win a title. Uh, That's what I'm rooting for right now more than anything in sports um, because there are actual games and there are meaningful games going on um, while, you know, our favorite sport, the NFL, is just holding minicamp. Anyway, um, Donovan Mitchell last night went for 45 points uh, in the game last night um, and um, with it, uh, became the 15th player already in these uh, playoffs to go for 40 or more in a game. Um, how unique is that? Well, uh, the last two years, there were 13 and 11, respectively, in terms of 40-plus point performances in the postseason, and that was in the entirety of the postseason. Uh, this year, through just a round and a half of the postseason, 15 players have scored 40 or more points. I've said uh, many times over the last week and a half, two weeks, that I am enjoying the NBA playoffs. I think the performances individually, some of the team performances and the intensity of these games have been fabulous. 
Um, last night, uh, Donovan Mitchell's 45 is only ranked uh, as the sixth best scoring performance of the playoffs through the first round and a half. Damian Lillard, Lillard had 55 in do- double overtime in that unbelievable performance in game against Denver last week. Jason Tatum went for 50 in a loss to Brooklyn. Um, Devin Booker and John Morant both have 47-point games um, in the postseason. Luka Doncic had 46 Sunday in Game 7 against the Clippers. Leonard had 45 Friday night in Game 6 against the Mavs. Mitchell had 45 last night. Luka also had 44 against the Clippers and 42 against the Clippers. Kevin Durant had 42 against the Celtics. Lillard had 42 against the Nuggets. Harden's had 41. Kawhi's had 41. Embiid had 40 last night. And Tatum also had a 40-point game. That's amazing. 15 individual performances so far. We're not even through halfway of the second round yet. And we've already had 15 individual performances of 40-plus points. Last year, again, 13 in total throughout the playoffs, 11 the year before. Every round, right through the NBA Finals. Something is happening in the NBA with the ability to score um, that we haven't seen. The games are high-scoring games. They're entertaining games. The truth of the matter is even the best of defenders in the NBA, they can't stay in front of the best players. You cannot guard Kevin Durant with the best defender in the game. You really, it's very difficult to, to guard right now somebody like Kyrie Irving or Jason Tatum or Lillard or Leonard or Harden. It's almost impossible. Doncic, nearly impossible. If they want to get 40 or 50, they'll get 40 or 50. By the way, the NBA MVP is Denver center Nikola Jokic, the first center to win the MVP award since 2000 when Shaq won it, um, and the first second-round pick in NBA history to become an MVP. I thought that was interesting. Um, He does not have a 40-point performance yet. He does have two uh, 38-point performances in the playoffs. Um, Joel Embiid had 40 last night, 13 rebounds in 35 minutes as the Sixers evened up their series with the Hawks. The NBA playoffs are great. I'm telling you, if you don't if you think somehow the NBA's not for you, but you're a basketball fan, you're the one that's missing out. Um, I did read after the show yesterday some stories, if not like rumors, about Kristaps Porzingis coming to Washington. I would not want that. I wouldn't count on that either. I think really the next piece of news as it relates to the Wizards is Scott Brooks, and then it'll be Bradley Beal. I think those are the pieces of news that are coming on the team. Certainly the Brooks news, they deep dive into everything. They take a lot of time. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of consensus building in that organization, but I would think that that is coming soon. All right. Uh, Mini camp today. I was about to say training camp. Mini camp today. Um, 
what happened? Uh, this is based on a lot of the beat reporters that I follow, JP and Ben and John and Sam and all the guys and, and Nikki as well, um, all the people that are out there following it. Um, the piece of news that came out of minicamp today is that John Allen said that he and the team are continuing to work on a new deal, but has nothing. He has nothing to report as of now in terms of anything being finalized. I've mentioned a couple of months back, um, I expected them to get a deal done with John before training camp, worst case before week one of the NFL season. Um, There are discussions going on. Doesn't mean that it will happen, but I think it will. I think more likely than not, it will uh, happen. Um, by the way, uh, Curtis Samuel missed a second straight day of minicamp. So did Jimmy Moreland. Uh, Bostic, I think, missed, um, and J.D. McKissick uh, as well. Um, and there was some news related to vaccinations, if you're interested in this. Rivera said that nearly 50% of the players are vaccinated. He says they've brought in an expert to discuss the situation and hopes they eventually reach herd immunity to open up more together uh, in terms of opportunities uh, to spend more time together. There was Montez Sweat talking about the vaccine, um, and his comments uh, were as follows. He said about uh, the team bringing in vaccine experts to speak to the players, quote, I'm not a fan of it at all. I won't get vaccinated until I get more facts. Uh, I haven't caught COVID yet, so I don't see me treating COVID until I actually get COVID, closed quote. That's an interesting perspective for sure. Uh, He'll treat the COVID when he gets the COVID, um, and he's not going to get vaccinated until he gets more facts. Well, that's smart. You shouldn't get uh, vaccinated until you've researched it and you've got a lot of information. Not everybody takes things on blind faith. I went in and got vaccinated pretty much um, the moment that I thought, you know, everybody in my life that was much older had been vaccinated and it was available. Um, And I trusted the CDC and I trust a lot of what um, I have read about the vaccinations. Um, but uh, I am all for those uh, uh, people that want to get more information and to come to a conclusion on their own. Um, anyway, uh, all right. Chase Young yesterday spoke to the media, uh, and that happened while we were doing the podcast, but we didn't have all of the sound. And what I wanted to do today is I actually wanted you to hear the beat reporters press conference with Chase Young yesterday. Because I think a lot of you have this sense that this isn't um, really newsworthy, that um, there's no reason not to believe that he's in great shape, and apparently he is. There's no reason to think he isn't doing the work. That's not that big of a deal, um, that he was the only player out of 90 players um, to miss all six of the OTA days, and that it really doesn't matter what the reasons were. Well, I disagree with that. Um, I think because he's a team captain um, and he is you know, not only a self-anointed but also a team-anointed and coaching staff-anointed leader of this culture uh, change uh, out in Ashburn, I think it is important to find out why he felt 
um, there uh, that he didn't need to be at a at a voluntary event, but that eighty nine others decided that um, they would volunteer and show up, and he was the only one that didn't. I think it's interesting at the very least, and I wanted you to hear exactly the way the the questions were posed and how he answered them, and then afterwards I will tell you a little bit about what I've learned. Um, uh, about uh, the comments from yesterday as well. This was Chase Young. You'll hear Scott Abraham from Channel 7 kick off the questioning, and then Heather McDonough, um, my friend from Channel 4, um, throws in a question or two, and then you'll hear John Keim, of course, from ESPN, finish it up. Over the last couple of weeks, it was voluntary OTAs, and I'm just curious, was it a hard decision for you not to come to these voluntary OTAs? And if you don't mind sharing... Uh, why weren't you able to make it? I've been in and out of phase one and two. Um, you know, this offseason, I have, a, you know, a lot of stuff going on. I did five different shoots um, for, uh, um, for for five different things. Um, so i just been having a lot going on. And, uh, you know, I've communicated with my coaches. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm ready to rock. I came out today, um, was, was playing fast. So I feel good. So, uh, you know, the biggest thing was just communicating with Coach uh, Ron and uh, Del Rio. And uh, as long as I'm locked in with them, they, 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 they know I'm working. Thanks, Chase. Hey, Chase, Heather McDonough, NBC4. Kind of going off that, how nice was it to know that, you know, you're talking to Ron, you're talking to Jack, and they're not holding anything against you? And how, you know, comfortable after this year with them do you feel in that relationship that you can have that open communication? It feels good. I love my coaches. Uh, my coaches know I'm, I'm going to work. You know, they know I'm not going to go and just, you know, lay down and relax, you know, and be lazy. So, um, you know, I'm a worker, um, and, and coach know that. So, you know, I'm going to come ready. And you had a lot of opportunities off the field this, this off season. We saw you on, on, on family feud. Can you just kind of take us, you know, through some of yeah, the, maybe yeah, the, yeah. Um, I, had a, I, uh, I had an under armor shoot, uh, that's, that's going to be coming out. That's pretty big. Um, had a, a shoot with eBay, um, for watches. Um, and as you said, I, I did Family Feud as well. Um, so, yeah, that's just three things that I did this last year. Just how cool is it to have those opportunities at such a young age? And what did you take away from each of those? I'm blessed. Um, I, I don't take uh, any opportunity for granted. Um, you know, I, I, just, I, I, I say my praise and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just blessed to be here. John Kahn. Hey Chase, when when you're working out, when you have those things going on, how are what kind of things are you doing to get your workouts and to make sure you're you seem to be a guy who's kind of obsessed with working out. So how do you go about getting all that in? Yeah, man, you know, throughout them shoots and things like that, I would have to work out that morning. And uh shooting was probably I work out that morning and shoots. A lot of them would like to start at ten or well, nine, but I would have to go ten because uh my workouts and stuff like that. And they would really go 10 to 6. So I'll probably work out at like 6.37. Uh, then pop up at the shoot at 10. And then I'll be on set from like 10 to 6. So that's like a, a day. So there it was uh, from yesterday. Chase Young answering media questions. Um, I wanted to play that whole thing because I think some of you never get to hear it. Uh, or hear the questions um, and how they're answered. You know, context is everything. He mentioned that he was busy with the five different shoots, the five different things. He mentioned Under Armour, 
eBay, um, doing an eBay uh, watch ad, and the Family Feud uh, appearance as well. He also went through his daily routine that included, you know, the workouts when he was, you know, on set from 10 to 6, and he was getting his workouts uh, in earlier. Um, A couple of things just to clear up, because sometimes the timing of these things when you're listening to uh, a press conference aren't exactly clear. The team told me, all right, the Washington football team told me that the family feud thing was from a few months back. So that did not impact the OTAs at all. Um, they told me that for phase three, phase three for them is the OTA days, the three and three from the last two weeks, um, that he was in Miami for the first week of OTA days training on his own um, and decided not to come. Um, there was no media or endorsement opportunity uh, for him there um, during the first week. He just decided to skip the OTAs and train in Miami. And then during the second week, last week, he was shooting a commercial for Under Armour um, up in the area somewhere um, while also simultaneously working out with a trainer. Now, I learned that Under Armour's, um, that Under Armour's uh, t- uh, commercial shoots, if anybody's interested, they usually last a day, maybe a day and a half. And if the athlete wants to move or change the day, they move or change that day. They pretty much um, oblige uh, the athlete's request in terms of timing. I was told that um, by, uh, by somebody in the know as far as Under Armour commercial shoots. So there is the why, um, or at least you know an explanation as to why he missed the OTA days. Um, I've got three or four things here to follow up, and then we're going to move on, and we're going to talk to uh, Mark Stern. Number one is this, and this is just repeating um, again uh, for those that are slow and or hard of hearing. I do not think this will affect his play on the field next year or any year. I expect him to be one of the best defensive players in the game in short order, and if he isn't, I'll be surprised. Uh, However... I am disappointed that as a leader and captain on this team, he was the only one out of 90 who didn't post at all, not even for one day. I think true leaders don't need to be told when and how to lead uh, by some um, CBA. Now, I would never, ever want him to pass on big endorsement opportunities. Never. I don't want to take money out of the man's pocket. Or, or have an opinion that takes money out of the man's pocket. He should be doing these things. This is a short career that NFL players have. They should be maximizing on all of these opportunities. I don't have a problem with any of that. Okay? I am just disappointed that he didn't figure out a way because clearly during the first week there was a way, and I think even during the second week of OTAs there may have been a way for him to post for at least one day. That's all. Disappointed. Devastated? No. Disappointed? Yes. Do I think it's going to affect anything about the kind of player he becomes next year or beyond? I do not. Um, I'll also add that I think the coaches, or at least some of them, were disappointed too. They'll never say it, so therefore I can never prove to you that they feel that way. But I know for sure that while this wasn't the end of the world to any of them either, and none of them think that it's going to impact the kind of player he has, they still would have preferred that their best player and one of their team leaders and captains have shown up for one day, 
just one, versus appearing to be too busy with personal matters to show up when 89 out of 90 players, him being the only exception, um, including, by the way, other team leaders and team captains, who also probably would have preferred to have been somewhere else during the last two weeks, they showed up. They deemed it important enough to show up. I would tell you definitively that I know that if they were able to say what they wanted to say on this matter, they would have preferred he had made the effort to show up for at least a day or two. He had that opportunity. Let me make one other thing perfectly clear to those of you who think, you know, this is some sort of an example of the media overreacting or being overly negative about this situation. I'll speak for myself on this one. I'm not and have not been overly reactive or overly negative to Chase Young missing six OTA days. I've been, in my opinion, appropriately reactive and appropriately critical. Um, This is a two on an issue scale of one to ten. All right. Issues, you know, ten really big deals, one no big deal at all. This is a two for me. It's not a one, but it's far from a ten. What many of you have tried to do is what much of our world seems to do these days. They exaggerate when the truth will do. This market is not a tough media market, people. Chase Young, for this particular issue in Philly or New York, it would have been more of like a 6 or a 7 or an 8 on the scale of 1 to 10. This media market is less critical of its sports teams than most on the East Coast. Now, it's more constructively critical than some, but most East Coast markets are much tougher than this media market. There are a lot. There are a lot of cheerleaders in this market. I'm not saying that it's totally unique. Uh, You just don't get that in in a lot of other uh, markets, uh, specifically in the Northeast. I'm not a cheerleader. There are plenty of other blogs and podcasts and radio shows where you can get that. I'm a fan a big fan, lifelong fan. I want them to win, but after but after the last 20 years, I definitely have my antenna up. And so should you. You know, there's a saying about leadership, and I'll probably botch this. Um, there are two kinds of leaders: those who are interested in the flock and those are who are interested in the fleece. I'm not a mark. You can find a podcast segment from somebody else or a blog or something written who thinks that this is 100% okay that he didn't show up for any of the OTA days. And then they'll list all of the moments over this first grand year of his career where he uh, exemplified uh, leadership. You can find that. That's not going to be me. I'm a fan of the team, and I'm a fan of him. I think he's going to be great. But I don't want to get fleeced. Remember, this happened in 2012. I am not suggesting it's the same thing. I don't even think it's close to the same thing. I like him a lot as a player. I'm excited that he's on my team, but he hasn't proven anything yet. If anyone, including Chase, were to ask me, and they probably wouldn't, if I think he should have been there for at least one of the OTA days, my answer is now and forever, and it would require little to no thought before answering, yes, you should show up but they're voluntary. No, not for you. They're not. You're a leader. They're trying to create a new culture. You're a captain 
89 other guys are likely to show up. You can't be the only one that doesn't. That's all. Uh, Mark Stern will be our guest right after these words from these sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is something that has actually been on my list of things to do for a long time on the podcast. Um, And it wasn't my idea this time because Mark Stern called me and said, I'd love to come on the podcast to talk about my podcast that I'm doing, which we are going to talk about. But you have been, for those of you who don't know who Mark is, most of you do. Okay, Mark was... um, was I was fortunate enough to have him as my producer on on the Sports Fix with Tommy for seven plus years. Um, Mark and I have been friends for coming up on like twenty years, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah, um, and Mark is Nigel on the Tony Kornheiser show. I think many of you know that. Some of you don't. And for those of you that didn't. Um, there you go. Uh, there's the big reveal. Um, but Mark is one of my very good friends and has been for a long period of time. Uh, he's one of the people I talk to a lot, uh, but not necessarily about sports, usually about a lot of other things. Um, but Mark, um, is going to be on the podcast today and we're going to talk about a couple things, including your new podcast and what you're doing with tennis. And we can talk a little bit about tennis because it's been in the news. I actually did yesterday, um, on the podcast yesterday, or maybe the the day before, uh, I had a reaction to, uh, feds withdrawal from the French open. So we can get to that. But one of the reasons that I wanted you to come on the podcast is to talk about you because I think a lot of people, you know, who have listened to radio in the market, listened to Tony's show and Tony's podcast, know who you are, but they don't really know other than the Nigel character who you are. So I thought we could talk about you if you don't mind to start this little segment. No, I'm I'm happy to, and I'm thrilled to be on with you. I, I'm now sort of mortified that I'm like, hey, Kevin, I need to come on your show. Let me on your show. No, I mean, but, I've at, look, we've both done that for each other over the years several yeah. times, whether it's, you know, you or somebody that you want on or, or, or me, you know, being on Tony's show or whatever. I mean, look, one of the greatest thrills of my professional life in broadcasting um, was being a significant part of the Tony Kornheiser radio show for many, many years. And every single morning for, you know, 10 years, roughly, uh, I would walk into the studio twice during the show to do news oh, with so with Mark in there and with Gary in there, with Jeannie in there and with 
Tori in there and everybody else that was in there, Chris and everybody else over the years. And I miss that terribly. That was so much fun to do. And it ended for me when I started doing mornings with Cooley because I could no longer do it anymore. Right. But just the, weren't those the best days at the station? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, listen, I've been in, I've been incredibly lucky and blessed in my career to get to work with a guy like Tony and then to have so many amazingly cool people, a smart and bright and talented that are part of that show. And you were such a huge part of what we did, you know, and I mean, I do the news now uh, and I've done it, you know, here and there throughout the years. And every time I do it, I'm like, yeah. It was just Kevin would have done no, that's not true. You know, but but it was so much fun. And then I got to go from that. And like you mentioned, I got to work with you and Tommy for seven plus years uh, on the sports fix. And it was, you know, it was it was such a great, fun show to be part of. And and to get to work with someone who you respect professionally, but also somebody that you're friends with. I mean, that's that's just the ideal situation in any kind of professional environment. So, yeah, I. I I look back on those days, and I miss him for Tony's show right now because we're all doing it remotely. You know, he's over at his house with Michael, and I'm in my apartment, you know, Zooming with him. And so it's uh, it's a different feel for it. I still love Is he not but... back? I mean, are you guys not back together now? He's fully vaccinated, for crying out loud. <laughs> and, and all of you are, too. We all are. Yeah. I'm not sure what we're he's a little he's a little reluctant. I mean, anybody that knows Tony knows yeah. he has a lot of fear in his life. So. Um, you know, we've talked about, I think eventually we'll go back in studio, but he's also loved this so much. We might try and do something, you know, out of his house from now on. So, you know, like with everything, things evolve and this is just sort of a different version of what we're doing in the show right now. But, but I, as much as I love it and I do love what we're doing and I'm, I'm so proud and, and thrilled that we were able to stay on the air for the entire year through it, the lockdown. I know what that meant to people to get some kind of voice out there, some kind of entertainment to distract them from things that were going on but i do miss being in studio with with that whole crew like you said with gary with chris Jeannie, david and, and tori and, and the whole gang so it was it was a routine that we were involved in um and it it just i i've said i've used this line so many times um over the last couple of months anyway as a lot of people on 980 and you and i have had many conversations about our good friends um, Doc Walker and Scott Lynn and CJ and Steve Zabin and Solly and everybody, you know, um, you know, that, that was a part of the station that's no longer a part of the station. It doesn't feel like the same station anymore. Um, but, you know, the the days of of coming in when I had a midday show, but coming in early because Tony's show was always recorded early and walking into my office and you having like, you know, a newspaper with a couple of things circled from him that he wanted to do. And then I would add to it. it, it I use this line all the time from my, my all time favorite show comedy. Anyway, The Office, when Andy Bernard in the finale says, I wish there was a way that you could tell that you're in the good old days before you leave them. And and we were in the good old days back then. And, we, and I love what I'm doing now with the podcast, and I love that I'm able to do it with Tommy and Cooley. And you're still producing Tony's podcast, which, by the way, is one of the most successful podcasts in the world um, in terms of the audience size, et cetera. Um, and, you know, you're still playing the Nigel role, which is fun, but it's just different. You know, it's not the same day that we used to have. Like, you and I spent so much time every day together from like 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. every day yeah yeah 
No, it was, uh, and it was a great day. You know, I mean, and we did have, we had a couple, there were two runs for me, you know, in that radio station that were really just brilliant. And the first was when you came on board with us when we were over in Brookville Road. Yeah. And it was just, those days were the most fun because we just had a huge crew of talented, funny people. And all we we worked hard and we laughed and it just had a blast all day long. And then that second run when we you were doing the show back in, in uh, Rockville and, and Tony and I were, were up there. And, and you're right, those days were just like getting ready for shows and doing good content, chasing down fun guests and having the most fascinating conversations off mic about everything under the sun. And, you know, uh, yeah, listen, it was a it, it was a great time <laughs> and, and you couldn't put any better. The, the Nard Dog had it right. You know, yeah. you, you wish you could recognize the good old days when you're in the middle of them. Yeah. You know? And before you've left them. But the, you know, a, a, a couple of things, because I do want a little bit about how you got started and the whole thing and how it evolved with Tony, because I think, you know, I'm sure you've told this story before. And um, but but, you know. Literally, Mark, Tony's studio was a place of refuge for us after Tony had left. I mean, it was where the show was done, but it's where Mark essentially worked. I mean, Mark had a desk and the whole thing, but Mark was basically holed up in Tony's studio from 7 a.m. until, you know, you would leave at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it was. And I would say that on 80% of the days... Um, after, after they had left and before our show, and then after our show, that's where I was. And you and I would be talking about a lot of things, typically none of them having to do with sports or the company in which we worked for. (laughs) Um, but we solved, we thought we were solving a lot of the world's problems. Um, but we were also, um, let's just say we, management was never super sharp in the radio business. Oh God, no, no. Uh, I mean, I could say a lot of disparaging things. I won't, but, but yeah, management was uh, was always less than impressive. I guess. Yeah. The most and and there were days in which management would come in and they would have conversations with Mark and and I and uh, and we would be sitting there and they'd say, "What do you think about this?" And they'd leave and we'd just look at each other and we'd say, <laughs> "Did he really just ask that question? He could not. He couldn't have figured that one out on his own." Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, how did you? I, I, want to, I want to apologize for one thing, which I've never fully apologized for. What in that tiny studio where we're doing Tony's show, and you would come in? I had a phase in my life where I was trying to get more protein, so I would I would hard boil eggs. And oh bring yeah. Them in, yeah, And you came into the studio one yeah. time, and you're like, "Look, I'm stern. I'm just going to tell you this right now. It smells disgusting here. Yeah. Stop bringing the eggs in." Uh, well, you so so a couple things real quickly. Actually, I'll I'll save these, okay? Because I want to talk about how what you were like when I first met you versus what you turned out to be. Um, but, um, you, how did you, I mean, you can give a little bit about you, you grew up, you know, in, in multiple areas and you went to Denison out in lovely, um, what's the town that Denison's in? I always forget. Granville, Ohio. Granville, Ohio. Um, and then you got into broadcasting and give everybody sort of the start of broadcasting. Um, everybody knows where you are now, but how it all got started and how you ended up doing Tony's show. 
Uh, I really, I wanted to do sports broadcasting for a long time, and I, just to get into the medium. And and I, I'm friends with Billy Bush because I went to high school with him. Um, and and Billy said, hey, you know, I, I got an in for you to radio station up in Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire. I he'd work there, and he said, if you want an interview, I can get it for you. I went up there. I literally said in my interview when a guy, when my my soon-to-be general manager said, why do, why do you think you want to do this? Do you have any experience? I said, no, I've never worked in radio, but I have one in my car. And he still hired me. So I was like, okay. And I worked there for three and a half years and loved it. You know, it was great. You know, you're making no money, but you love just the job and, and just broadcasting. Um, it was so much fun. Um, then Billy uh, was doing a morning show down here and said, hey, you want to be my producer? And I wasn't really interested in being a producer. I love being on the air, but that was my chance to get you know, into a big market and come back to where I lived, which is, you know, my family was down here in DC. So I did that for a couple of years and realized that I never wanted to work on a morning show because I don't like getting up at three 30 in the morning right. and going to sleep at like seven 30 um, and kind of burned out on that. And, and I had always kind of been pestering Todd Castleberry, the manager for, um, or the program director for nine eighty, And finally I get an opening came up and he said, you want to come on board? And I did, and I worked with uh, Steve Zabin and Andy Poland for a couple of years on the sports reporters, and um, and then I, I was kind of shuffled around with some stuff, and I was really a man without a show, and, and thought that I might get blown out because I didn't really have anything that was keeping me at the station. I thought they might just try and trim some budget and, and whack me. Um, and then Tony was just finishing up. I guess he had a non-compete from after doing ESPN national radio and he was coming back to do local radio, which he really wanted to do. And I didn't have a show. And uh, Todd said, well, we're going to make you Tony's producer. And I literally said this. And I think, I think I've told Tony, this, this is not going to, you know, he's not going to be furious about this. I said, I don't want that job because if I do that, I'm going to be so terrified about not doing it. Well, I'll do it so well. That'll be the only job I have for the rest of my career. Prussian. Yeah, <laughs> right. It turned out to be very true. And then Todd just looked at me and he said, well, if you don't take the job, we have no place for you. <laughs> so I said, well, this sounds like a great opportunity. And then, you know, I'd, I'd met Tony before briefly, but we were introduced and started with him. And, and I, I don't know how I was doing. I didn't feel like I was doing all that well. And, and then the Nigel thing sort of was, was born in this weird moment on the show and Tony had didn't know I could do voices and didn't really know my background and that was when he really took a shine to me and I think he I think he literally said to Castleberry after that he said don't ever mess with this guy he's my guy and I don't I want him with me always and and so I've been I've been with Tony I, I want to say since like oh four it is oh four it's exactly yes. when it was yeah so it's and it's been a great run you know I mean I used to read him you know and Will Bond and Boz you know all the time in the post and, and then to get a chance to work with him, you know, it, it really you can't draw that kind of stuff up. So even though I haven't gone on to have like the on air career that I, I, I thought I would, you know, it's been a brilliant it's been a brilliant ride for me. And it's still going strong and and it's opened up all kinds of possibilities and doors and and introduced me to amazing people. And, you know, so it, uh, it, it's not the path I, I imagined I would have had when I started out on this journey, but no path is, is like you think it's going to be. And it really has just been magnificent. You know, I, I so remember those days because I had just, I, it was, as you know, it was a second professional career for me broadcasting. Yeah. And I got this opportunity to do some weekend updates on 980 after I had done some play by play 
um, and, you know, had been introduced to Bennett Zier um, through a friend of mine and then met Todd and met CJ and, and they said, yeah, you know, if you want to come in and do some updates on the weekend and came in and did some weekends on uh, a weekend update on the Kentucky Derby weekend with Bram um, in there um, hosting on Saturday and literally within two weeks, the woman who was doing morning updates, Meredith Joseph. Meredith, yeah, Meredith. Meredith was excellent. We love her. Yeah. Loved Meredith. She was excellent on the air. She left to go on maternity leave, and Castleberry, um, you know, basically, I went in and I said, look, if nobody wants to do that uh, while she's out, I'll do them. And no one did want to do them that early, and so he gave, them, he gave it to me, and literally a week after... I started doing Meredith, Meredith Joseph's morning updates while she was on maternity leave. Tony's show started, yeah, you know, on the station, and I was in there doing updates during Tony's show. And do you remember? Do you remember? I, I remember why he lo- instantly loved you because, like, it was it wasn't like a gradual process. Immediately, he loved you, and the reason why was because you came in throwing high heat, saying people fall off cruise ships. All the yeah, it was the cruise ship thing. I think you're and, right. And, or weather, then, one of the and, two. But then right then, there were like three or four stories of people falling off cruise ships. So Tony was like, <laughs> this guy, Kevin, knows it. He's awesome. He's gold. We got to have him. And and you you immediately became part of the fabric of that show, which was so fun to watch. And it made the show better. It did. Well, I mean, you're awfully kind. It was one of those things. I was giving broadcasting. You know this. I don't know if I've ever shared this with anybody. Um I was essentially giving broadcasting, uh, you know, like a year. Like I wanted to do play-by-play or host a sports talk radio show. Why? Well, because I liked listening to it, and I thought I would be good at it. But I was not at that point in my life after being involved in four different startups, um, technology and Internet startups. I was not going to move to Paducah, Kentucky. You know, my family, we were the, the kids were super young. They were in schools already. We, we just weren't going to do that. So I had a very short window to sort of try to make this work, or I would have just gone back, you know, into some new business. Um, and everything worked out. Like I literally did one update on Saturdays during the, I think it was the Derby with Bram, Bram Weinstein. Um, Bram, I think may have been at, uh, like he may have been at a track watching the, the race, but doing update, uh, doing his show from there. And, and I was back in studio and I can remember very, I didn't even know what an update was. And Scott Lynn was a massive help in sort of putting it together. And then I did it for one, one Saturday and maybe the following Saturday, and that's when Meredith went on maternity leave. I took the gig. Tony came in a week later, and he made me a part of his show almost instantaneously. It was luck. It was very lucky. I'm wow. glad I was in that spot at the time and that I didn't fumble it completely away. But the bottom line is, if Meredith didn't go on maternity leave and if Tony didn't come in like two weeks later – I probably would never have had what is now like an 18-year, 17 to 18-year career in broadcasting on radio. I probably would have gone, because we've known a lot of people who were really good, better than we were. They just never got the opportunity because it didn't exist.
Yeah. No, well, you know, t- timing is so much of it. And but, you know, luck is the residue of design and hard work. And you put yourself in that position. And then when you got those opportunities, you took advantage of them and you knocked it out. Of but the but I, I do want to mention that part, when I first got started and I was doing those early morning updates, my, they put me in a little cubby right next to Mark. You and I were in the bullpen right yep. next to each other. Yep. Now, for those of us that are good friends with Mark and have been, we can say this about him. He's not at first blush the warmest and the cuddliest. No. <laughs> and you you have to make sure that you're not wasting your time with somebody before you decide to give them the time. And I can remember like I'm sitting there trying to make conversation with you and you seem like a good dude and you're like looking at me going, what is he like? How did he get in here? Like, wh- how is he doing? And, but within literally like two weeks, we were best friends. Yeah. But those first two weeks, I remember thinking this dude is an asshole. I might actually <laughs> tell him he's an asshole, but I, th- I, one of the things I, I realized very quickly about Mark is he was definitely very smart. And I, you know, I've said this about you before. You're one of the smartest friends that I have. And I'm talking about, you know, much beyond what we do here in broadcasting. Um, and, um, and we, we became super fast friends and I, 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 I'll, I'll rem- I remember this. I remember the Red Sox being down three nothing, and you oh. coming in every single day during that fall, saying, ah, "I got one more game. That's all I'm happy about." <laughs> remember that? I do. Just want to see him one more time. Just want to see him one more time. One more time. Yeah, that was a. Yeah, I, I, I apologize for my abrasive nature. Really <laughs> friendship. I, I think part of it is like, and you know what a fan I am of military history is like when you're like in a combat platoon and some new guy comes in and you don't want yeah. that attached to him because they might step on a landmine in a week. So it's always like this. I don't want to get too close to the new guy. And then and you recognize who great people are. And like you said very quickly, I was like. Kevin is just a, an all-star on the squad. And and it's been, dude, it has been so much fun seeing your path and seeing all the successes that you've had and every okay. challenge that you've had. I know you're like, you don't want me to brag about you, but it really has been fun to watch. Do you remember, by the way, Meredith, when she came back from yes. She literally, I think she was there for one day and then said, no, I actually, I want to be home with my kid. That's more important to me at this phase of my life. And she was a tremendous broadcaster, but that really cleared the gate for you because if she had come back, she was going to, I think, take that slot. Back. Well, she, she did. She came back. She took her slot, um, which she, of course, uh, deserved yeah. after being on maternity leave. I was basically out. I was, Todd had said, look, um, we actually want you to do some updates on weekends and we want you to and and they did they put me right into this role of doing um what they called the fifth quarter show it was the post post game show right and so i i was starting to do that the funny thing is is when i started um i'll never forget bennett zier um who was running clear channel at the time which included uh the team 980 said to me you really want to do this like and i said "Uh, yeah he goes well let me just tell you something. Like you have to know a lot about sports. Like you really have to, and you really have to know about the Redskins. Like that's something that you really have to have passion for. I mean, have you listened to the guys on the air? And I go, "Yep, I have. I can do this." <laughs> and um, 
But uh, no, no, no. I, I got I got the Eugene Sledge, you know, um, treatment. You know, and until until I had fired at a Jap for the right. first time, right. um, I was pretty much ignored, and 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 you had your nose up uh, towards me. Um, but those those early days were so much fun, and of course we were in that studio with Tony, with the ceiling sort of caving in at times. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, and by the way, you and I, we were the first two people. I was the I was the first person there in the morning because I, I had early morning updates. So I was in at like 4.45, 5 a.m. And then you would come in shortly thereafter. So we were always the first two people in there. And then there was that producer that I, I forget his name, but he was obviously troubled. Um, nice nice kid. Uh, but you, you remember who I'm talking about, right? Oh, yes, I do. I mentioned names, but I'm yeah. talking about names. But the other thing about that um, that hovel over on Brookville Road in Silver Spring is G. Gordon Liddy did his radio show from that building. Yes. And so every single morning when you and I were in there, literally at you know at 6 a.m there would be this smell of bacon coming from the microwave in the kitchen yep and it was the um the two girls who were his producers D- was it Diane Diana and Diana and, and her sister and I can't remember what her sister's name was but it was Diana and they were microwaving up G Gordon Liddy's bacon every yeah. morning remember and it's it smelled up the entire um, the entire uh, offices and studios, it wasn't a bad smell. No. And and there was the occasional conversation with G. Gordon Liddy, like in the kitchen, and he couldn't have been more pleasant. Could have been a nicer guy. Could not have been a nicer guy. Like one of the most fearsome individuals <laughs> that you ever read about in American history. And he was just, oh, yes, it's wonderful to see you guys. <laughs> and yes. I, think, I think you and I would like occasionally start firing some Watergate-related questions at him. Yeah. And he's like, ah, ah, it's good question, good question, Kevin. No, i got to get back to the studio, though. Um, and by the way, the bacon smell, much better than the time when Mike Kelly decided to heat up seafood chowder. Oh, God. And everyone just yelled at him, like, don't ever do this again, man. You just ruined the entire radio station. Didn't didn't Liddy just die? He did just pass away. It was just like two months ago, right? Yeah, yeah, it was very recent. And, and I, you know, we talked about it on a Tony show, and it was, you know, he said, listen, we had this weird opportunity to interact with him. And Tony and both said, listen, he was a lovely guy. He was lovely. Yeah, he could not have been nicer. And it was it was a bizarre chapter in my broadcast history to sort of have interactions with this guy. But again, you know, you, you never know who who you're going to run into in this kind of career. And he was just a, a great guy. Yeah. And, you know, when we did move to Rockville, we didn't want to move to Rockville. That place in Silver Spring was away from everybody else in corporate. We basically had our own set up there. It was so easy to get in and out of. Now, Rockville ended up being uh, great, too, but um, I remember Tony's resistance to Rockville, and I'm like, it's going to be fine. Um, by the way, the other thing about Mark, too, um, not only was was he great as Nigel, and I very much do remember as you were creating this character in those early days and, you know, sort of the debates that you were having about, you know, you know, what, what it was going to be, what his name was going to be and how much you should do it. And all I remember is just be encouraging you. I'm, I'm like, it's phenomenal. You just gotta, you just gotta do it. Right. And, and, um, Mark is a, it has been, um, a standup comic. Um, some of you know that, and some of you have seen him and he's great. But the other thing that I wanted to say to you, and this is so true, while Mark was definitely 
um, a you know an acquired taste for adults. And really, again, the reason being, Mark is one of these people, and I have several friends that are this way, that they just don't want to waste any time with people that they don't feel like they should waste time with. That, that is partly you um, and your personality, which is fine. Um, and I remember those early days saying, well, basically, fuck him. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really care. But, you know, and then somehow we ended up becoming friends. But what Mark was phenomenal doing is he was great with young people. And all of the interns that came through 980 over the years, including, by the way, my son and a lot of sons and daughters of friends of mine. Remember, we had basically the Sheehan interns for about three straight summers. Always great kids. Um, Mark could not have been better with young people. And still to this day, there are friends of my son who will ask, how's Mark doing? Um, and, and because you were great with young people and you really, I don't think it was, um, you certainly didn't get paid, uh, anymore for, for doing it, but for all intents and purposes, you were the, the managing the intern program, at least those that were in during our portion of the day. Wow. It was, it was always, it's always fun, you know, to, to shape a young mind in that and, and, and show them, Hey, this is the right way to do things. You know, this is, you know, let me get your mind working right about how you can cover a show and how you prepare for a show. And, you know, it, it's great. To, and to see the eagerness and the anticipation from the, from the kids always is a great thrill for me. And, and you always brought it. We didn't always have great kids, you know, <laughs> there were a couple that were, were not real interested in the internship. Yeah. No, and I, I remember very specifically, I'm not, not going to name names, but there was a year where it was December 7th, and I asked these two interns what the significance of that day was, <laughs> and neither one of them got it. Right. <laughs> I was very angry. Yeah. But, no, but yeah. the kids you brought through were always terrific. We, we hit them with a lot of dates, like uh, the significance of, of you know July 14th. Does anybody have any idea what the significance? And they wouldn't even have any clue. Um Anyway, uh, I have a feeling a lot of our listeners don't understand the significance of that date either. But, by the way, that may be a trip um, I'm making um, this summer for a few days. Oh, really? Back to Old Paris, um, which my wife loves a lot. And I said, can we just go somewhere and I can be on a beach and play golf? No, we have to go, you know, where we can see museums and cathedrals. Uh, I, I don't know why I, I, I'm past that point of doing that on vacation. I'm not interested in that as much as I, and I wasn't never, I, I was sort of interested. I was the guy that wasn't interested. And then I would get interested when I got to the museum. Right. Um, and I was like, Oh wow, that was really cool. But, uh, I would prefer on vacation to play golf or, um, <laughs> fly, or, or be on a beach. Yeah, you want to recharge the batteries, and yeah. you know, there's different ways to do that. But I, listen, I've never been to France, um, and uh, to, you know, I'd love. I mean, there's so many things. That- you and the vice president. <laughs> Me and the vice president, apparently. Yeah, she apparently has not been to Europe, which I found yeah. is a surprise. I've been, to, I've been to England once, but I've never been yes. to France. And well, you're you know, from I, England. I, well, yeah, technically I am from England. Yes, from Birmingham, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I uh, you know when I, every time I watch the French Open over at Roland Garros, and I'm like, man. I gotta get over there and see. I gotta. You've been to see Wimbledon. I'm. Mean, have you been to see Roland Garros? No. Have you seen- no. I've seen. I've seen the venue, but I've never been there for the actual Open itself. I, By the way, as a quick aside, because I don't want to forget this, because you'll be able to weigh in, weigh in on this as well. 
Tommy and I were in this big argument yesterday on the podcast. He's like, the French Open's the equivalent of the PGA. I'm like, no, it is not. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. <clears throat> it's not. No, no. It is, you know, maybe third, but for, for, for Europeans and a lot of the players, it's second behind Wimbledon and maybe even first for the clay quarters. Yep. But it is a, you know, it's a big-time tournament. But, but yeah, um, yeah, th- these are things we've talked about so many times. You have to get over to the – that's where you have to go. Um, Mark is definitely um, – a historian on many fronts. I mean, you were a European history major, right? Uh, well, I was at classics. I was a classical civilization uh, major. Okay, but but, but studied all European history. I, I mean, that's I've I've always had a passion for it. And the more I studied, the farther the further back I would go. Now I'm into ancient Egypt. Oh boy, that's what I'm fascinated with. Right. So I got like a whole Egyptian trip I'm trying to plan as well. All right. Well, I'm going to have to get up to snuff on that, and then we can have a conversation about that. Um, I do before we get to your podcast and what you're doing with the USTA. Working with Tony over the years, like, is there a show or shows that stand out more than any others over the years? You know what? Um, there is one show I recall in particular. Well, there's a couple of shows um, and a couple of moments. First of all, Tony, Tony's unscripted opens on big days when something big would happen. You know, I, I, and I'm thinking specifically of when George Steinbrenner passed. And we were doing the show from his beach house, and, and I think it, it had just happened, and I said, who do you want me to call on this? And he, and he just looked at me and said, you know who you need to call? Me. I got this. And he did an unscripted open on George Steinbrenner that was just like watching him like, do an oral version of his column. And it was there was no, I mean, there were no real notes. He just did this all from his memory, and just like, this is unbelievable yeah. to watch something like this happen. And... and just gives you such pride that you're part of that but you know it's funny because some of the toughest moments that we've dealt with you know as a country are the best moments of tony because he rises to that moment and he he understands the pulse of that moment almost better than anybody i've ever known and and i and i'm going way back on this but if people remember there was a horrible shooting at virginia tech um you know maybe about 15 years ago thing like that and it was just tony just had this really eloquent heartfelt open you know just thoughtful about what we were dealing with and what what was going on and and it's funny because we've done so many brilliant sports shows and we've done so much so many funny silly things and but what i love about most about tony is that he rises to the occasion in these moments where so many others would fall short because they don't have that gear in them to talk about those kind of things and and tony obviously who's one of the smartest people you will ever encounter um those are those are the kind of moments i, I actually remember more almost than than the sports stuff that we did the um i always i, I always thought like on big important days not sports days but other days that we had Tony, and then we also had Coach Thompson, who was yes. phenomenal in those moments. Really you know, especially cultural-related um, issues. He was so good on those days. Um, I one of my favorite moments, and it was also a bit of a you know a dicey moment, was the Lance Armstrong thing um, oh. <laughs> because 
I remember when that ha- I remember what caused all that. Yeah. I I caused it because I did a story during the news about yeah, bikers man. and yeah. it got Tony on a rant about these bikers and I I egged him on well, saying I they're know. so chesty and they they bicycle by Queen to get us into the next set. Right. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah this is fun. And you know? he basically, you know, netting it out said, you know, go out and run all cyclists over and Lance Armstrong went nuts and then I believe you can help me out with this but i believe he reached out to sally because remember the the outrage from this from biker world i mean they wanted tony's head um and they 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 didn't want it attached to his body and i think he reached out to sally who had written the book with lance and sally ironed it out and then got lance to come on the show yes we had a big detente (laughs) and 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 everything was 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 made nice but i wonder about that now with the current cancel culture and the frenzied mob on social media, you wonder how that might have played out today. If that right, occurred. you know, I, you know, maybe maybe we don't survive that, you know, because so many people don't survive these sort of frenzied, uh, you know, actions. But uh, but no, Sally gets full credit for brokering <laughs> that peace deal with us. And, and Lance was very gracious when he came on. With he that. was, and he yeah. he he was not. He didn't for it. My memory is. He forgave Tony, but but used it as sort of a, a pulpit to lecture him as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, and 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 Tony took the rap on, on the knuckles. You know, he was like, "Yeah, okay, I, I got that coming. That's fine." You know, and 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 everything was good. And and we're very we're very careful now. <laughs> what we say, we don't yeah. Wanna- we don't want to create that sort well, of well uh, th- that yeah. and Hannah Storm. Well, the Hannah Storm led to the recording of the show. Is that yes? Is that inside baseball that shouldn't be revealed or not? Uh, I forget. I, I don't. Well, I mean, we're we're a whatever. It's a podcast now, but yeah, every, the radio show because of the Hannah Storm comments then had to get recorded so that they so the contents of the show could be reviewed. By the way, you know who who reviewed many of those early uh, recorded shows on 980 was my very good friend Stanford Steve, who was working at ESPN at the time. You know Steve, who's Scott's yeah. sidekick on SportsCenter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's great. I- and he loves you, by the way, and, and always says to say hello to you. Oh, wow, please. I'm a big fan of his, man. That's, that's crazy. Wow. I, 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 I do remember, though, he, he got on one of those rolls, and I just sat there, and I go, they are so chesty. They won't stay in their lanes. They're lanes for bi-. And he, he took off on how he wanted every bicyclist, you know, I think it was like Rock Creek Park run yeah. down. Well, you know, I remember I remember his line. His line said, "Was like I'm not saying to hit him, but just give him a little, tap. <laughs> give him a little tap." Yeah. And, oh boy, and, that know. blew up. Yeah, they didn't really like that. Um, there's one other thing um, that I remember very much about Mark Stern. Mark was, um, well, who? Mark is a, is, is a stand-up comic. Who would you say your best impersonation? You do impersonations. Who's your oh. best impersonation? Right. Well, Kevin, I remember a long time ago, you and I were discussing something on a ship with Natalie Wood and Bobby Wagner. Um, for those that can't pick on that, that's my Christopher Walken impersonation, which may be my, my one big brush with fame. And, and you talked me into doing it that day. You remember that? I, I do. I, I, so it's funny because I don't know if you saw Danny Ruye's impression of Charles Barkley that blew up into an incredible viral thing that actually ended up making it onto the TNT show. Oh, wow. 
with Barkley and those guys talking about it. Um, good for him. It's a great impression. The content's excellent. But a lot of people tweeted me and said, this reminds me of when Nigel, when, when Stern did, you know, Chris Walken, Natalie Wood. And to make a long story short, and I'll let you fill in the blanks, uh, Mark would come on every Friday during the football season to do a fantasy football segment as Chris Walken. And we posed Chris Walken as a massive Redskins fan. So, yep. you know, he, he Chris Walken knew me, knew Tommy, listened to the station all the time because he was a massive Skins fan, knew everything about the game, was always heading to the game in a Winnebago, yep. setting up out in FedEx parking lot. But um, this particular incident um, – Stern did a Christopher Walken uh, uh, rant on the Natalie Wood, you know, disappearance and death, which Christopher Walken was tied to in many ways. And Joe White and Joe White, who was the longtime sports writer for the Associated Press locally. God rest his soul, because Joe did pass away, right? Yeah, I didn't I didn't kill him off. Did I? I know Joe Joe passed away a couple of years ago, I think. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was kind of sudden and, and very sad. He was, right. He, you know, it was the late great Joe. Joe was the nicest guy. Joe happened to have been listening to this segment, thought it was actually Christopher Walken, wrote a story that went out on the Associated Press where Christopher Walken was, was revealing uh, details of Natalie Wood's disappearance and the night that, you know, she, she disappeared off of that, that, you know, in that boat trip with, you know, Robert Wagner and I forget who else was on it. You'll be able to fill in the details here. And the thing went viral. Every single major news network, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, they all picked it up. They were all calling the station to see if they could get the recording of what Walken had said on our show and it was it was fake and we had to tell everybody no 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 there was just this dude and poor joe because we felt awful for joe joe just got duped by it it was such a great impersonation he got duped by it and he never called us to check obviously we would have said joe no 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 that's yeah. that's mark yeah, that's mark big. doing walking by the way a lot of people thought it was walking week in and week out. A lot of people had no idea. And they would walk away from the interview going, God, this is cool that Christopher Walken's a Redskins fan. Well, remember, we would always construct it, like, what are you working on, Chris? And we'd always have some semi-plausible movie project with stars. And you're like, well, that seems reasonable. And then he would break into, right, and if you don't have Robert Griffin in your starting lineup this weekend, you're a moron. You know, and so... And I remember, so the day that that happened, and we've been doing the bit for a while, um, he was in the news because the skipper of that, of the boat that Wagner and Natalie Wood and Walken were on, he was coming out with a book and he was talking about, I think it was like the, some kind of anniversary for the, for the actual date of it. And, and you came to me and you said, well, we got to do this when we do the walking hit today. And I remember being like, I don't know, man, <laughs> this feels a little dicey, should we? And sort of like how you always talk Van Pelt into doing his impersonation. Just like, yeah. come on, just do it. And I was like, okay. And that was all basically off the top of my head. We, I, I forget what it was. But it was, get, it was get, like, you remember parts of it. Because there was Zambuca involved. There's there's a lot of... Go ahead. Shouting. Yeah, there was shouting. I remember we were having fun and then shouting in Sambuca. And I went to the forward berth to read a Hardy Boys book. And I fell asleep. And when I awoke, Natalie was gone. Yeah. 
And and you know, and then literally right after that, it was like, and Adrian Peterson is going to run circles around the Chiefs next weekend, <laughs> right? You know? And and so we just thought, of course, well, nobody takes this seriously. And then I was walking to the gym like four or five hours later, and I got a call from um, I don't know, it's Inside Edition or something like that, and they're like, "Oh, Mr. Stern, thank God I got a hold of you. Do you have the audio for Mr. Walken talking on your show?" And I was like, "What are you talking about? What's going on?" And then I started to realize what was up, and as you said, it was everywhere. And then they started calling it a hoax. And it was like, it's not a hoax. It's a radio bit. It's still all over. If yeah. you Google um, Christopher Walken radio interview, Natalie Wood uh, on 980, there are so many stories that have been written about it. It's, it's amazing. Here's one. On Friday, the Associated Press learned that Christopher Walken had apparently called into Washington, D.C. sports talk radio show, The Sports <laughs> Fix. And by the way, parenthetically, which already doesn't make sense, um, close parentheses, to, di- to discuss details from that fateful night in 1981. The AP quoted Walken as saying, we had a lot to drink that night. There was Sambuca, there was shouting, and then there was tragedy, and that's all I can remember. <laughs> I can't believe it, and and yeah, and the AP and, had to, and Joe, poor Joe, had to retract this story. I know because I know. a lot of these stories that I'm finding are the retraction from Joe. Yeah, and by the way, that gives me the lifetime opportunity anytime I reference an AP story and says if they got it right, because sometimes they get it wrong, and legally I think I'm covered there because they clearly got that wrong. The only time I was nervous in that, Kevin, was. Uh, when I heard when I heard a story report that said Walken had retained an attorney over this matter, and I was like, "Oh, right. no, man, no, I love you, dude. Please don't sue me. I love you." So there, there, and I, I don't know if I'm still in there, but I know there was a time in his Wikipedia page where I was included amongst the ranks of people that do great Walken impersonations, which again is a career highlight. The, the um, the I, I mean, I'm just pulling up. I haven't looked at this in years, but oh, like the L.A. Times, you know, in the moment. Off of the the other news, writing, Walken made an appearance on ESPN 980 Washington, D.C., a sports talk radio station, and said about that night there was drinking and shouting on the boat and that he never heard anything until Wood was discovered missing. Quote, we had a lot to drink that night, and then there's the rest of it. Um, and, and, and by the way, so here's the full quote from you. We had a lot to drink that night. There was Sambuca, there was shouting, and then there was tragedy. That's all I can remember. And quite frankly, all my attorney right now would want me to say. <laughs> uh, that's, that's Literally, Kevin, that's one of the all-time great radio moments. I mean, it just, everything was perfect about that. Yeah, God, Thank you. God Thank rest, you. Natalie Wood. Yes, God rest. Just an angel. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh... I want to find out about Mark's podcast. Um, we're going to talk a little tennis about the Roger Federer withdrawal. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Uh, more that I just found, Mark, on that day, which, by the way, was November 2011 when you did the Chris Walken, Natalie Wood thing. On our show, there are so many stories. I don't think I've ever seen all these stories. I think for some reason, maybe Tommy pointed me to some of this stuff years ago. There were columns written about how it happened. This is from the Toronto Star. 
Uh, a story titled, written November 12, uh, 25th, 2011, a story titled, News Mangled, Radio Shows Christopher Walken Impersonation Fools Associated Press. And I'll, I'll just read from parts of it, including the opening paragraph. The recent news that authorities reopened the investigation in, into the 1981 death of actress Natalie Wood came as a shock to many. Wood's drowning death occurred while on a yacht uh, with then-husband Robert Wagner, actor Christopher Walken, and the vessel's captain. It was declared an accident, case closed. Then late last week, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department announced that the case was being reopened. With that, there was a big push to get comments from either Wagner or Walken. By the way, is Wagner dead now, too? I think he is. I don't think he's alive. I'm going to check that. I'm going to check that. And if you were to place a bet on which media... This is what's written here. If you were to place a bet on which media outlet was most likely to land the first interview, chances are the, the ESPN Sports Radio program, the Tony Kornheiser Show probably wouldn't have been at the top of anyone's list. So they got it wrong. They they credited Tony's show. Yet on Thursday of last week, the show introduced Walken as a guest. And then they, they give the quote, we had a lot to drink, Sambuca, that's all I can remember. That was not good enough for the Associated Press. It wrote a story that began, actor Christopher Walken says he went to bed on a yacht he was on with actress Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner 30 years ago and awoke to learn that she had died. Really? Christopher Walken broke his silence on a sports talk show? The same sports talk show that coincidentally has a guy do a Christopher Walken impersonation every week? Oh, wait a second. And then here you are. The voice on that radio belonged to Mark Stern, a producer at the station who does the show, show's regular Walken bit. It was on our show, not Tony's show. No one seemed confused about the fact that the interview was with Stern as Walken, except for the Associated Press. Its story hit the wires and online before a reporter um, contacted the agency to inform them about the mistake. Um, uh, The Associated Press has withdrawn, you know, this story, blah, blah, blah. The story quoted Christopher Ward. The station now knows it was a hoax involving a station employee who was impersonating Walken. It's rather disingenuous, this columnist writes, by the way, of the Associated Press to blame it on a hoax when it was just a normal part of the show. Stern also suggested uh, the Associated Press should have been more diligent in its reporting. Quote, this is from you, Christopher Walken hasn't spoken about this in 30 years. Did they really think he was going to call into a D.C. sports show to talk about Natalie Wood and then, by the way, give fantasy football tips? <laughs> it was absurd. Stern told Access Hollywood. Well, there you go. You were on Access Hollywood about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, you know what else I remember? Was that, that Billy day? Bush? That was Billy Bush, yeah. Because yeah. because he was the one that taught me how to do the impersonation. He did it when we were doing the morning show together. Was that before some of his and Trump's conversations? <laughs> yes, this is long before that. Long before okay. that. Um, um, but I do remember one small side note of history on that day. Yeah. The biggest story leading up to that had been the fact that Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore were splitting up. <laughs> it was a big story that day, and then we knocked them off the headlines. So somewhere Ashton and Demi owe me a favor. Well, she was a bit too old for him. I always yeah. felt that way. Um, the uh, Yeah, you know what? This coming November, let's remind each other, we're going to have to do some sort of 10-year anniversary of oh, this. Oh, absolutely. And maybe we'll do it by trying to pull a legitimate hoax this time and see if anybody <laughs> falls for it. Uh, all right. Um, tell me about the podcast you're doing. Mark's done a lot of tennis work over the years with the USTA, with the U.S. Open. Tell me about what you're doing with this podcast. 
Thank you. Yeah, you know what a big tennis fan I am. I know what a big tennis fan you are. I used to um, be. Well, used to be. But I, I can always sit and, and talk tennis with you, which I love. Um, so uh, I've been doing a, a, a podcast for the U.S. Open, like during the course of the tournament for the last couple of years, and they've really enjoyed it. Sort of like a, a daily recap with interviews and scores and highlights, and the USDA really enjoyed it. So um, a couple of months ago, they came to us and they said, "Hey, we'd really like to make this a year-round project," um, which I'm thrilled for the opportunity to do. And uh, so we've launched it. Uh, our first episode was a couple of weeks ago. It's called Courtside the U.S. Open podcast, and for some reason I wrote my, my full name in there, so it's with Marcus Stern. Marcus? Uh, yeah, I don't know why I did that. I was feeling very formal. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's basically, at this stage, it's, it's a lot of interviews. Um, I talked to tennis analysts. Um, my first show, I, uh, I spoke with Michael Chang, talking about his you know, great run to win the French Open in 1989, and there's a fascinating conversation he shared with me that he had with Yvonne Lindell like uh, the year before he beat Lindell in that epic match in the fourth round. Remember when he was cramping up and he was you know, hitting moon balls and underhand serves to throw Lindell off, and he won that and went on to beat Edberg in the uh, in the finals that year. So it's a really great conversation I have with him. And, uh, you know, it, it, listen, I recognize that tennis is not, you know, the number one sport on anybody's calendar right now, but there's some amazing storylines going on. And we really have been living through these last 15 or so years of the greatest era of players that we'll ever see with Djokovic, with Rafa, and with Federer. And to see these these three, and, and it's Serena on the other side, who is just, you know, I don't think she's ever going to get to 24, but she really doesn't need to because her place is cemented in history as one of the greatest players to ever play. So, um, so yeah, so we, you know, we're going to, when we get to the U.S. Open, um, it'll be every day during the Open. So it'll be like three weeks of shows every day. But other than that, it's every other week. And I've got an episode that will drop tomorrow. Um, then I'm still. Who's going to be on that one? Um, I've got uh, analyst Sophie Amiak, who is over in Paris. So we talked about everything that's going on over at the French Open. Um, I talked to Brian Vahaley, who's an ex-player, um, who's now a board member for USTA. And he's got a really interesting, courageous story. He, he's, he was homosexual, but not outed when he was playing. It did not come, into, come out until after. Who was the player? Brian Vahaley. Okay. He, he played at UVA. He was a great college player and had some shoulder injuries that really kind of derailed his his professional career. Never really kind of got where he wanted to go professionally, but has become this great voice for um, for people that are going through you know sexual identity sexual identity crisis. Um, he's a big big voice for for people. Um, that are struggling with that. And then I have our very own Liz Clark, who has written some terrific pieces on everything that's going on with Naomi Osaka right now. You know, um, so it's Courtside, the U.S. Open podcast. All right, you can get it wherever you get a podcast. Um, and um, I know it'll be good. Mark is a great interviewer, and he knows who he should have on these shows and the content that, content that he should be doing. It'll be great. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, I mean, you and I have had this conversation many times about how tennis has become really niche in, in the United States almost as a sport, but it's still wildly popular around the world and, um, and in many English-speaking countries. So you're, you're going to have some success with this. You definitely are. And it's going to be um, a podcast where you're, it's going to be a good one for advertisers because of more likely than not the type of audience it will attract. Tennis always, tennis and golf attracts a very upscale, you know, clientele. Um, and so uh, this will be great. I, I, I was upset 
about Fed withdrawing um, the other day. I thought it was disrespectful to the integrity of the tournament. I thought it was disrespectful to the fans that had purchased tickets in in hopes of seeing him in the fourth round and maybe a quarterfinal match against Djokovic. I understand that he's sort of earned this level of respect from players, and Chris Everett and others said he's earned the right to do it. I don't think he has earned the right to do it. I I don't like that he did this at the French Open, that he used it as a tune-up for Wimbledon. What was your take on this? Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's a a false note from Roger, who really doesn't have many in his career. Um, And I I think if he had thought about this a little bit deeper – or more deeply than than he wouldn't have gone about it the same way. But you're right; it does. It comes off looking like he used the French as a tune-up, and then when he was going to really be starting to face some seriously tough opponents, and he had a, he had a really tough time with Kepfer right. in that final match. But then you're placing Berrettini, and then if you go past Berrettini, which is no you know walk in the park, Berrettini is a terrific clay court player, great player in his own right. Uh, then you got Djokovic, you know, and then it's Rafa, you know. So you know, I, I think he's like, oh, I just wanted to test my knee out. It, it's, I mean, it's the French Open. You kind of want to say, if you're in it, you got to go till you can't go. If he had said, look, my knee is screaming at me right now. I can't do this anymore, you know, and that's sort of what he was trying to say, I think. But it, it, it really uh, – it didn't sit all that well with me. And I, I'm a huge Roger fan. And, and I've seen him do stuff, by the way, off camera, off mic. It's the most – acts of just unbelievable generosity that he does with fans. So you know what kind of guy he really is. And um, so that, 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 that kind of disappointed me about the way he, he went about all of this. Yeah, I think, you know, not that I'm advocating dishonesty here, but, you know, a simple I've aggravated an injury um, and I've, I, I can't play would have – it would have been a non-issue. I think he made it very clear – that basically he had no intention of competing for a title here. He had no intention of competing beyond three matches. And I think that that's um, – I don't think that's – I mean, we see tennis withdrawals all the time. It's a you know it's an individual sport, and there are injuries, and there are injuries sometimes where you're able to finish a match, but you're not able to start the next one because it gets sore or it gets tight or whatever. Um, and that's unfortunate when that happens, especially at majors. Uh, but – that was – I'm just going to – I'm Roger Federer. I can play three matches here, quit, and then you know get ready for Wimbledon. I, I didn't like that. And like you said, it, it's Roger Federer. He, he brings a lot of extra you know, weight to the table you know, in terms of expectations of people wanting to see him play. I mean, it's not – Right. People bought tickets for that fourth-round match expecting him to be there. Think yeah. about all the tickets that were purchased. Look, they're not struggling to – you know, it's, it's Roland Garris. No. But how many people were excited to see him against Djokovic in a quarterfinal you know, uh, you know, on, um, on, on, on center court at the, at the French Open? Yeah, I, I mean that's the that's the whole draw of things. Why was know? I blanking on the center court at French Open? Is it Philippe Chartier? Is that F- Philippe Chartier? Yeah. Um, what about Suzanne Langlin? <laughs> Which court is that one? See, I got to go over there and I got to okay. see the court map. You know, I, I don't I, know the, the map at Wimbledon either. I got to get okay. over there. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, you, it's you, you can't just go out there and say I'm going to do. I'm, this is a tune-up for me. I mean, there's there's a grass court circuit. I mean, there's there's a, a you know going to be a tournament. Uh, you know, right after the French that you could tune up with. And, and I'm sure he's going to be playing in that. Um, and that's really his better chance to win. That's his probably his best chance to win another major is going to be at Wimbledon. Uh, I don't think anybody expected him to, to contend for a title at the French because he, that's never been his best surface. And, and as long as Rafa is playing, you know, who else is going to win? But uh, it, you just 
you, you like to see somebody say either go out there and, and give it your all or like you said, it's, I don't want to care Kurds lying, but just say you need, you know, something happened and you can't go anymore. And as much as you hate to say this, you can't continue in the tournament. All right. Um, good luck with the podcast. Again, Courtside, the U.S. Open podcast. You get it anywhere you get a podcast. Mark is the host of this thing. Um, he's got a lot of experience with a lot of different podcasts. Obviously, Tony's being number one. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with it. I know it'll do well. Um, I will talk to you soon. I appreciate the time. Thank you. I appreciate the time more than you can more than you can understand. I really do. I want to give one plug for a third show I do with my pal, actor, comedian Adam Ferrara. Right. The Adam Ferrara podcast. Nothing but laughs and great wisdom in it. You'll love it. So thank you, Kevin. For it's just great catching up with you, man. I really appreciate it. Well, we we catch up more than just today. Yes. No, we do. I but every that sounded awfully formal for our conversations. (laughs) No, I know. I just every chance I get to talk to you, I love it. You know, and and um. All right. Love you. We'll talk to you later and uh, good luck with it. Uh, I'm back tomorrow with Tommy. Uh, Have a great day.